We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. Uh, So many things happening right now, uh, and I've got so much to tell you. In a few moments, as I like to preview for you, we will hear from our friend Jeff, uh, excuse me, James Moffat. James Moffat. Uh, James is uh, from Michigan, and he is an expert on what's happening over there. There's big news, actually. Remember, we we covered the idea. They co- we covered the news, <clears throat> the discovery by us. It was happening in Michigan. James Muffet filled us in about 10 days ago that Michigan had about $40 million headed its way from Planned Parenthood because Michigan had a law passed in 1930-something that banned abortion. And after Roe v. Wade, that law kicked back in. And so Planned Parenthood said, not only are we going to get rid of that law, we're going to put it in the Michigan Constitution that abortion is a protected right all the way up to the uh, birth of the baby. And so um, the pro-lifers in Michigan were faced with this incredible daunting task, uh, $40 million, hundreds of thousands of signatures gathered, all this kind of stuff, put it on the ballot. uh, And the other day, two days ago, it turns out that they had typos in the uh, many, many petitions that were signed to put it on the ballot, the pro-abortion people. It looks like it might be stuck, if not struck down. So we'll hear from James Muffet. We'll also, before that, hear from a young woman, Katie Brown. We'll hear from a 25 or 6 or 7-year-old woman about how and why she's pro-life. Now, it's partly in her genes, in her family. Her uh, father is Hugh Brown, who's the vice president over at the American Life League, been on the show a number of times. And um, but also her grandma and grandpa started the American Life League. And so we'll talk with her. She's uh, uh, head of an effort there. And uh, I'm just so interested when you meet uh, someone that young, how they got to stay, be and stay pro-life is a big deal. So uh, there's big news breaking out of um OpenTheBooks.com, our old friend Adam Andrzejewski, and we're going to have him on the show tomorrow talking about what they found in California. They finally forced their way uh, to get access to the California um, uh, checkbook, and we will know. Uh, we, we've got a big – I've only looked at a little bit of it, but we know now that Gavin Newsom was engaged in what can only be described as legal – it's legal, doesn't look illegal, or it, no one says it's illegal, no proof, uh, no evidence of that, but legal pay to play. In California, you can solicit donations from vendors to the state, and uh, those vendors got $6.2 billion, it looks like. So we'll hear all about that. All right, but first, what you need to know today. What you need to know today, and this is a serious topic. I'm going to try to be a little light with it. I'm going to try to be happy about it, but it's really scary. The President of the United States has now gone on and given a speech where he says that anyone who supports Trump or Trumpism are really evil. He calls them fascists, calls them names. Now, it is one thing to fight with Trump. It's one thing to fight with Trump's surrogates by name, perhaps. It's one thing to, in a campaign, call people names and say that supporters of such and such or whatever. But when half the country, almost literally half the country, even Joe Biden 
you know, when he counts his votes, electoral votes, as well as the uh, straight up votes, he, he must realize that about half the country didn't vote for him. Well, maybe I should say it differently. Uh, you know, if, if you if you look at the number of voters for him, the same, uh, almost the same number within 45,000, 44,000 votes voted for Trump. There were a bunch of people that didn't vote. We don't know who, how they stand. But for this president to spend his time saying that his opponents are evil, saying that his opponents are insurrectionists, saying not not one or the other, not specific people. But if you happen to believe in one political party, I guess, in one political uh, movement, you are not just a racist, you're anti-American. You're not just a bigot. You're you know worthy of of what? I guess you're worthy of disdain. But at a certain point, what it looks like is you're worthy of government action against you. Let me say it differently. That's not how it looks. That's how it feels. How it feels is that the president of the United States is willing to target people who disagree with him and say that they are a threat. And I have to say, I look around. I've known a lot of Republicans. I've been involved in Republican uh, uh, party work at uh, I ran the Missouri Republican Party, so I certainly knew all of Missouri. I mean, I knew all the counties and lots of the people. I didn't know everybody, but and then I was on the Republican National Committee. I saw the Republican. There are some uh, there are some really really sweet, generous people in Republican politics. There are some real jerks. There are some people that are uh, unkind, and there are some people that are very kind. There are some people that really want reduced government, and there are some people that think they could run government better, right? But I did not see, ah, that's funny, I did not see, I did not see Nazis. I did not see these white supremacists that are talked about. I never saw it. I've never met someone who's a white supremacist. I met people that have bigoted, bigoted statements. I've met people that are, not again, not nice. But I've met them in all parties, all sides, and it's not been particularly a party thing. So I, I don't understand how a president, well, I do understand. Joe Biden is the worst type of politician. He's the worst type of, uh, of swamp creature. He has become so convinced of his own goodness, his not even goodness, his righteousness, his correctness on things, that everybody else is not just incorrect, but deserves to be silenced. So it's completely okay to Joe Biden for people to lie about his son's laptop and what was on it and for the intelligence community and the FBI to manage that and for big tech and big media to go along. That's completely acceptable because it's his side is the right side. That's how he feels. And it's completely acceptable for the lies to be said, manipulations to happen against Donald Trump and his people why? Because Joe Biden is so convinced of his correctness. And it actually is a very slippery slope. It's not it's very not even a slippery slope. It's right next to true fascism and true uh, sort of, well, it's kind of a hate crime. I hate to, again, the Democrats have been for so long, or at least Joe Biden and the left, they've been so able to say things about other people and not have them come back. The real hate crime people, the real hate purveyors is Joe Biden and his people. And you're watching it in real time, in, in prime time speeches, the president of the United States is lying to us and slurring sets of people. It's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing. I, I can't imagine something worse. And 
it's actually meant to damage people and especially damage relationships. And I have told you this over and over again. If you go back and read this essay by Valak Havel, I never say his name right. Valak, Vaklev Havel, Havel, Havel is his last name. I know that's right. H-A-V-E-L. And he wrote this essay back in the late 70s in the Czech Republic. It wasn't the Czech Republic then, in Czechoslovakia, where he lived. And it's called The Power of the Powerless. And he talks about the reality behind the uh, the Soviet uh, Iron Curtain. And he talks about what it's like to live and what it's like to not have the ability to dissent and what it means. And I, I've told you over and over again that there is a point where the wokeness, the woke culture, the use of go- uh, of media to silence people, to target people, is meant not only to do that to that person. It's meant to set up a dynamic where normal people step back. It, 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 Havel, in his article, in his essay, gives us an example of a, a, a fruit and vegetable stand where they have uh, the slogan, Workers of the World Unite. And he says, why does that guy, why does the manager of that shop do that? Why does he do it? What's he trying to do? Is he, is he trying to enthusiastically talk about unity for workers of the world? This is Havel. Is his enthusiasm so great he's got an urge, irrepressible urge to make sure people know? And he says, no, no. He says, the majority of shopkeepers never think about the slogans. They don't really want to express their real opinions. It's done in such a way as to make sure that people will be understanding both of the powers that be, that they're not rocking the boat, and that the people that are coming won't be coming to a place to shop of a, of a boat rocker. And the reality is the sense of survival, the sense of moving along to get along becomes the way of the people. And when the president of the United States, Joe Biden, calls people that believe in Trumpism, believe in America first, believe in make America great again, believe in those policies, when he calls them names, calls them threats and makes clear it, it, it makes you it has an effect. It has an impact. And the media rushes to cover it. It is extraordinary. It is terrifying. And it should make you worried. And it's getting worse is what I don't understand. I, I'm watching this president do this more and more. And I, all I can think of is that people are guiding him to do this. That they've decided, not that they're deciding along the way, but they've made this a set of policies that they're going to do. That's how it's, that's clear now. That's, that's clear now. And those policies are destructive of this nation. It's incredible. It's incredible. And it's really terrifying. It's really terrifying. And whether you're um, sitting at home and you're saying to yourself, am I going to be targeted by the IRS and all these people? The answer is yes. Maybe not you specifically, but people like you and probably you. Ask Catherine Engelbrecht of, uh, of, of the, uh, of the, about the Tea Party uh, IRS role back in the day. In uh, in the uh, in the 2009 2010, what they did to her in terms of the uh, uh, in terms of the audit uh, of her of her efforts and ask her. I mean, just and say what became clear is 
she was targeted. True the Vote, it's called. Her organization was called True the Vote. And they were targeted, as clear as can be. And that's what's going to happen. That's what will happen. That's what we're headed towards when we have a president that continues to ratchet up the uh, the rhetoric against we the people. I mean, it's extraordinary. It's hard to believe it's happening. It's hard to believe it's happening. You know, there's a, a one of the online commentators that said, you know, they're going to hunt Republicans. They'll be hunting. They're hunting Republicans now. They're targeting Republicans. And Joe Biden's leading. Joe Biden is leading the targeting of Republicans in this country, in America. In America, that's happening. All right, we got to take a break. We'll come back. We got a lot more. Uh, don't 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 get down. I'm trying not to be too negative, even as I tell you something pretty scary. So I uh, will take a break. Be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, I'm, I'm very pleased. This is a nice uh, uh, segment coming up. Uh, um, we have had on the program uh, Judy Brown, uh, the great founder and very well-known uh, pro-life leader of the American Life League. She's uh, been at it, literally at it for uh, decades and decades, uh, 50 plus years or so. And uh, she's been on the program. Her son, Hugh, who plays a senior role at the uh, uh, um, the uh, organization there, it has been on many times now, um, and his great voice too. Well, Katie Brown, so Judy's granddaughter, who's in her 20s, mid-20s, is also working in the pro-life movement, and she is uh, the American Life League's, uh, the director of their Marion Blue Wave. Uh, So first of all, welcome, Katie. What's the best kind of grandma story you can tell us about uh, Judy Brown, your great-grandma? Well, thanks so much for having me, Ed. It's a a pleasure to be on the show, especially following in the footsteps of my my dad and my grandmother. Yeah, yeah. The best story... (laughs) I know it's kind of it's very cool. The best story that I can probably tell you about my grandma is just her, and it's not really even a story so much as just her conviction and her seriousness. I mean, she's she's a lot of fun, but the thing about my grandmother is she cannot take a joke, and it's because she just cares <laughs> so much about her work and she's so serious about everything. Um, but it's a good thing she just cares a lot. So when we try to be a little lighthearted around her, sometimes she does not take it so well. But right. she has a great sense of humor when she wants to. <laughs> Well, so um, so we're talking again with Katie Brown and uh, American Life League. It's uh, it's uh, such a such a great organization. ALL.org. You can find out more about all the different education they do and the work they do. Before we get off of that, though, um, how do you think I'm saying about how you think your grandma felt? I know it's a weird question. It's like, like if we were in court, it'd be like hearsay of a fifth fifth generation. But how do you think your grandma felt when Roe v. Wade was reversed and Dobbs, uh, the decision came down? Well, I can tell you exactly how she felt because she was my very first phone call after that happened. Um, uh-huh. And I, obviously there was a lot of excitement because there's just been so much work done in the last 50 years uh, working for this goal of overturning Roe versus Wade. But at the same time, it was kind of a, well, now let's roll up our sleeves and really get to work because I think there's a grave misconception that we all just pack up and go home now. And of course, that's not the case. So she was excited, but at the same time acknowledged that, you know what, now it's time to get serious. 
um, the uh, that's that's interesting. It's it's kind of like the late Phyllis Schlafly was. They they celebrate for a minute. They'd have a nice time. They'd feel good about it. They'd acknowledge all the accomplishments and say, yeah, there's something else to do. And they just keep going. And so it's some in that generation, it's kind of like they just don't they don't do a good job of coasting on anything. So right. um, let me Katie, Katie Brown, uh, the director again of the American Life League's Marion Blue Wave. We'll get to that in a minute. But you have this uh, mosaic of love celebrating a pro life leader and grandmother. Um, uh, you know, tell me about what I read this and I was uh, touched and. Uh, and it's wonderful. But why was it important for you to do that? Write that down. It's important for me. It was important for me to write this down because I actually I lost my grandfather last November. And he so his name was Paul Brown. And he yeah. helped co-found the American Life League with my grandmother. And he was more of the behind the scenes kind of guy. So he did uh, just as much work as my grandmother has done, but more so behind the scenes. And it was important for me to write this because I wanted her to know how much I appreciated her while she's still here. Um, yeah. And, and and she's not going anywhere. I mean, my grandmother is a sturdy woman, so I think we've got her for quite a long time. But I just really wanted her to know how much her life's work has, has meant to me and how much of an impact it's had on me. And I wanted her to be able to know that and appreciate it while she's still around mm-hmm. to read it. Um, well, it's yeah. A, yeah, yeah, it's a nice, it's a very nicely done and important, uh, that kind of marking the history, you know, we, we, I keep telling people, uh, you can, the, the time keeps marching on and we've got to kind of uh, make sure to, to, to sort of catalog this. All right. Tell our listeners about the, uh, Marion Blue Wave. Tell us about, and I'll oh, maybe stop and say this. You're in your mid twenties and look, a lot of people have grandparents that do something interesting, a family business, something they care about, even have a dad who's into these things. Doesn't mean they do it. I mean, did you, did you, um, you know, you, you're a young woman woman did you um come to this late was it always something that you thought you wanted to be involved in how, how did you end up working in the life movement i mean it's obvious in some ways it would, it's the apple doesn't fall far from the tree but it's not automatic oh absolutely and if you had asked me even 10 years ago when i was 16 if if this is something that i wanted to do i would have probably said no and it's not mm-hmm. because i wasn't pro-life i mean it was obviously something that as a family we would talk about at dinner time you know every time the march for life rolled around we all were always there and our pro-life hoodies and matching scarves but it was just <laughs> something i looked at it more i looked at it more of well, I mean, this is something I can be involved in, but this isn't my life. And it right. wasn't until I was in college and I got involved in um, in my school's pro-life group that I realized, well, you know what, if you're really going to be pro-life and care about human life at, at every stage, I mean, you can't just do that on the side. That has to be a full-time thing. Hmm. And so I got a degree in journalism and did that right after college. And I was just struck by how meaningless that job was. Um, <laughs> and the things that I was writing about had no impact on other people. And it was very like bottom of the totem pole journalism. And I just wanted more. I wanted to do more and I wanted to contribute more. And so my grandmother, of course, was like, well, why don't you come, you know, work for American Life League until you figure out what it is you want to do. And that was four years ago. So clearly Mm. she had in mind what would help me find, you know, my path. But I didn't realize it until I kind of dove right into it and realized, well, this is what I've been looking for the whole time. Uh, all.org for folks that want to learn more about the American Life League. It's, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of there there, as I like to say. All right. So Katie, but tell us about one aspect of it. A Marion Blue Wave. Um, I have, a, I have enough of a, a, a ten, antenna up to know the Marion Blue Wave. That sounds like, uh, related to a Catholic, uh, initiative, which I know is, uh, your family's faith background. But what exactly is the Marion Blue Wave? 
Sure. So the Marian Blue Wave is a, is a national rosary campaign where we ask Catholics to say one rosary a week for the intention of shutting down all Planned Parenthood facilities and ending all types of abortion. And the reason we chose the rosary and not just, you know, any kind of faith denomination is because American Life League is a Catholic organization. So we really wanted to go back to our grassroots roots um, and get people, you know, doing the work themselves um, and involved in a, in, a, in a deeper way that really, you know, drives home the core mission of American Life League, which is the Catholic faith. So we wanted to do something that would really motivate people to do something. And it coincidentally kind of hit the ground during 2020 when people were all stuck at home and looking for things yeah. to do, but nobody could really go anywhere. And so right. the great thing about this program is you can pray for the abortion down the street or the, the abortion clinic down the street, but you don't actually have to be there. You can pray for her anywhere. Right. Um, so that was the great thing that really helped grow this program when we really didn't think it was going to grow that fast. Um, 2020 kind of helped us in that way because you can pray for an end to abortion and especially an end to Planned Parenthood from anywhere. So that's yeah. kind of our focus is, you know, pray specifically for these things, um, but do it from anywhere. Half kidding as I say this, but, you know, they, they came out recently and said people that say the rosary are extremists. I'm half kidding when I say, you know, are you an extremist or, or I mean, but but I I do think um, it gets, it's gotten a lot of attention, right? I mean, one of the things that the President of the United States, unfortunately, is calling Republicans and others, you know, fascists or semi-fascists because they happen to disagree. Um, do you have you found that, um, you know, being a young a, a woman, uh, you know, and your efforts, do you get much of that kind of uh, vitriol? I think just working in this movement in general, you definitely do. But then when you if you're like me, if you're in your mid 20s and, you know, you're a woman who doesn't exactly fit where they think the narrative should be, there's absolutely going to be pushback um, on that. And I the rosary article that you're talking about, I, I read that, too. And it honestly, it, it made me laugh a little bit because I kind of agreed with this guy. He was saying, you know, people who pray the rosary think that it has. Uh, you know, a spiritual warfare kind of aspect, which is exactly what Catholics claim the rosary does. You know, it's a spiritual warfare. So I thought it was kind of funny because he thought it was he was making this grave point about how, you know, Catholics are crazy. And we looked at it and we were kind of like, well, you know, in a way, in, in a twisted way, he's kind of right. Not really. He he missed the mark for sure. But, you know, the undertones, I guess he he kind of was on the mark, but not right. so much. Uh, Katie Brown, again, uh, the appreciation she's written for her grandmother, who is a really a great lady and a great leader. And uh, one of those folks that uh, next next uh, month in St. Louis at our Eagle Council, we're having a luncheon. I think you're, I think uh, Hugh Brown, your father is going to try to come. But we're, we're celebrating all the different folks that have been in the vineyards. In fact, Judy Brown's kind of famous. But, you know, there's all these thousands and thousands of prayer warriors um, that that prayed where they were or went to the Planned Parenthood clinic for decades and prayed uh, and hoped and uh, put the word out and support efforts uh, to try to have Roe v. Wade reversed and more importantly to end abortion um, and it's been amazing so we're going to celebrate folks like your your grandma but also like a lot of those great people who uh, she brought along as a, the leader of the effort that she brought them along to to do their part so thank you for celebrating her and for taking the time to be with us of course thank you so much for having me Ed all right uh, Katie Brown everybody and if you go to all.org American Life League all.org uh, you can find all the information both about Katie's work uh, the uh, Marion Blue Wave as well as a lot of the different things that the American Life League does there and more about uh, Judy Brown too so great great woman to celebrate I'm glad I'm glad we did that okay we'll take a break everybody got to run we'll be right back Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report back in a moment
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we had our uh, we had a conversation about Michigan. I told you we were worried about what was going on in Michigan. And uh, James Muffet came on. He's the CEO uh, of an organization based in Michigan called Citizens for Traditional Values and CTVMichigan.org is the name uh, of the website. You can go there. And we were talking about how um, because Michigan has an existing law protecting life, uh, 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 forbidding abortion that Planned Parenthood had decided we're going to put a ballot initiative on and in typical fashion, they're going to put it on the ballot, vote in November. It's going to have two effects. One, turn out the vote and be tens of millions of dollars spent. But second, they're not going for a little bit. They're going for it all and uh, changing laws. So, uh, James, welcome back. James Muffet, how are you, sir? Doing great. Thanks for having so, me on. So tell me, most I got some emails and, and uh, t- uh, conversations with some of our listeners that were like, holy cow, if Michigan uh, falls victim to the Planned Parenthood move, you know, we're watching the playbook, right? And I said, that's exactly right. And so you got to get ready. And this is the sort of opening salvo. There's a wrinkle. Tell me about the wrinkle in the last uh, day or so with, uh, with this effort to put a ballot initiative on in Michigan. Yeah. And um, key, key part of that is it's not just a law. Right. Oh, that's right. Sorry. Yes. This is a constitutional amendment. So written in stone forever. And uh, they got the signatures. Planned Parenthood and the ACLU partnered together, said they were going to spend 40 million dollars to put this in the Michigan Constitution. And it's the anything goes abortion amendment that is cradled to, you know, conception to live birth and even beyond. Works, wipes away uh, uh, parental consent, wipes away informed consent, wipes away every abortion law in Michigan, including our 1931 law, which is the best law and one of the best laws in the country, blah, blah, blah. So that all happened. They went to the board of canvassers, got the 100 words approved back in the spring when they printed the petitions somehow. And nobody caught this until we our team was examining the petitions after they were filed the signatures. No one caught this, but there were huge typos in the actual constitutional language on the back of the petitions, which every signer ostensibly should read before they sign it so they know what's in it. But maybe they have to pass it before they know what's in it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) but anyway, so huge typos that no one caught. So from the time the board of canvassers approved it to the time it went to the printer, somehow the language got scrambled. So these long run on sentences, 40 errors. Now, here's the kicker. We discovered it during the examination of the uh, the signatures uh, a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago. And when we found out, we filed a complaint. And that complaint was heard by the Board of Canvassers yesterday in Michigan. And the Board of Canvassers is two Republicans, two Democrats. It takes three votes to put anything on the ballot. Right. And so they filed a complaint that says we cannot put this gibberish language in our Constitution. And there is no remedy for correcting language that was signed by petition signers as the official language that is going to be put in the Constitution, like laws can be corrected by the clerk of the House in Michigan if they have a typo. But a constitutional amendment that signers signed, there's no prescribed legal remedy to correct that. So let me pause. We're talking with James Muffet, and I want to I want to pause for one second because I think the first part of this is important as a, just a, a, a general um, uh, comment or a general um, commentary, maybe. 
you're telling me that it was some of your folks, some or some of the you know pro life folks, or some of the people that didn't want this thing that first noticed that language. Or, oh yeah. Or, or, oh yeah. And, or, and maybe so, maybe someone else noticed it on their side, but they didn't know what to do about it. And so when you maybe. saw when you saw maybe. it when you saw it, you said, "Hey, hold on a second. And you actually went and said, "What about this?" So this isn't exactly. this, this. This was not um, after the signatures were handed in and everybody was looking at it. The Secretary of State or somebody came out. And said um the language is nope. bad you nope. proactively nope. made that argument and it was on the back of the petitions and here's the deal this is i almost consider it providential okay because we were praying that god would send confusion in their camp <laughs> <laughs> um, so what happened was one of the ladies who's the legislative director for right to life of michigan she was noticing that they had used a uh, black marker magic marker to cross through some signatures with the idea that those would be they, they, they were showing we're invalidating ones that we think might not pass muster. But in so doing, those Sharpies could have bled through to the back, and that could also disqualify a petition because it means future signers couldn't have read it. So they, she just thought, well, you know what? I'm going to ask for the copies of the back of the petition just so I can see if that might be another way we could invalidate more signatures. They got the copies of the back, and they read the language printed on there, and it was this gobbledygook. Wow. Wow. Um, it's uh, again, we're talking with James Muffet and uh, James Muffet is a uh, 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 citizens, uh, excuse me, citizens for traditional values, ctvmichigan.org. OK, James, so back for one second to the chain of events. It goes yeah. to this board of canvassers. Uh, yes. You mentioned it's two Democrats, two Republicans. Right. And, and, and in some sense that I don't mean to be too insulting when I say this, uh, which whenever somebody warms up with that, they they're usually going to be insulting. But, you know, usually you don't get the most. Uh, courageous people to serve in those spots. They're usually people that are going to find a way to consensus and they're going to run elections. I'm not judging them. I'm just saying the people that get confirmed, they probably had to get confirmed. So you got two and two. What's the state of play? I mean, they said we can't allow this, right? Was it unanimous? No, 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 no. So here's the deal. There are four people on the board of canvassers in order for any initiative to go to the ballot after the signatures have been collected, right. it must have three of the four. Oh, oh, I see. Okay, gotcha. Sorry, I misunderstood. Okay. So it's so- deadlocked, which means it's, for all intents and purposes, as of this moment, it will not go on the ballot. However, the other side will file is filing a complaint to the Supreme Court. It has to be decided by September 9th in order to get it done in time for the clerks to prepare the ballots. Uh, so the courts will have to either say, we're not going to take this up. This is a canvasser's decision or the courts will take it up and they will determine either some remedy or what the board of canvassers did was correct. So there's still a long shot for them that the Supreme Court in Michigan could say, you know what? We know what their intent was. And the courts have been activists and we have a Democratic majority on our court right now. We didn't uh, 10 years ago, but we do now. So we are still holding on hope that the Supreme Court will do the right thing. And since there's no law, there's no legal prescription for remedy, the court, if they were going to be a rule of law court and decide based on what the law says and what the law is rather than what they think the law should be, then they will also deny this from the ballot, which means it will not be on the ballot. But we're like waiting and it'll be over the next, you know, nine days or so. We'll we'll get that decision. Is there a um, is there again, James Muffet in Michigan and and to set up set it up very briefly again, the what? $40 $40 million plus is what Planned Parenthood was saying they would be happy Correct. to spend to get a, a constitutional amendment in the Michigan state constitution to protect abortion.
reproduction uh, on demand all the way till till uh, birth. So this is a big deal. And now they're caught up in, in their own mistake. Um, by the way, what's wrong with Michigan? You guys can't get people to gather signatures without having a mess ups. I mean, there was the governor candidates that didn't get that on. Right. And I, I guess know. I guess one I good know. thing. One good thing is I, 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 did the Supreme Court get involved in those governor's uh, petition? Um, I think no? they did. And they I think they uh Probably refused to. They get ruled. Involved, right? no, they no. They ruled that what the board of canvassers said was accurate. They upheld their uh, their view. And it's it's not common for the Supreme Court to overrule the Elections Bureau, right? I mean, because that's their job. That's their jurisdiction. Uh, in this case, we got to. We'll have to wait and see whether the ideology. Yeah, of some yeah, of yeah. Those well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I know, but uh, James Muffet is my guest, and he's becoming a, a friend. We we talk we talk off offline, and I, but I got to tell you, James, um, follow the money. It trumps a lot of things, and we're talking yep. about tens and tens of millions of dollars. We're talking yep. about really hundreds of millions of dollars nationwide that will be spent this way. I I would be stunned if the Michigan Supreme Court. Here's here's what my prediction is, knowing the the follow the money filter. I think they'll yeah. come up with some excuse. They'll blame partisanship right now. Probably the two canvassers that are Republican uh, on that Michigan canvassing board or the Michigan election board are they're probably their, their lives are being turned upside down by researchers. And they're going to come out and say, these people are partisan in some way. And it, it should, we know the intent, as you say, is there any uh, thought James? I don't think so, but is there any thought to a federal, uh, remedy, meaning if they if the state Supreme Court says we're over we're overturning this and allowing it, is there any path to get yourself into the up to the U.S. Supreme Court? I don't see it. I'm just wondering if you're thinking that far in advance. Well, we had our briefing last week, and that was one of the one of the items. And and the lawyer uh, who is uh, the point person here in Michigan, he's actually a long term friend of mine. Uh, that question was brought up, and they have that in their back pocket. Yeah. Um, it's a long shot because yeah. the, the federal courts don't usually get involved in state constitutional issues because right. that's the state's job. But again, right. and we have we have more of a rule of law U.S. Supreme Court now, so they would likely stay in their own lane. They don't they're not as want to be, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, activist judges as a lot of the, the, the lib- libs and the progressives are. But um, again, it's that's a long shot. Uh, but they have it in their back pocket. There, there's a pathway for that. Whether they use it or not, we'll have to see. So. All right, James Muffet, thanks very much. Thank you for uh, um, being out there fighting this fight. Again, uh, for find out more, Citizens for Traditional Values of Michigan, ctvmichigan.org uh, is the website for James and their work. And uh, and uh, this is one we're going to watch and uh, keep us in the loop, James. Thank you. Thanks, man. All right, we'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, um, I wanted to pick up a a story. Um, It's fun to watch the media uh, periodically. They have to cover themselves and each other, and they they sort of they will either speak the truth or they'll sort of have conversations that put them in a hard spot. And it's funny to watch. For example, over on Politico, and I started to talk about this story uh, the other day, but I want to come back to it because I have a specific quote in here. But the um, the. There's a, a, Politico, a Politico magazine article, lengthy article, on a gentleman um, who has been named the dean of the Columbia 
a school, uh, Columbia Journalism School. Uh, he's the dean, and his name is um, is uh, uh, Dean uh, Jelani Cobb. Jelani Cobb, and he has a long career, uh, African American guy, long career in uh, in um, journalism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But he gave a talk as the new dean of this uh, Jur- Columbia Journalism School, one of the m- more well known and sort of successful or um uh, let's see uh uh branded as the top journalism schools in the country missouri university of missouri is another one that's one of the top ones but so you know uh, the the the, um the uh, dean gives a lecture and he goes um to find in the archives a 118 year old article and it's and and it's it's the title of the article is the college of journalism and it's written by the founder of the columbia journalism school joseph pulitzer of the Pulitzer Prize fame, right? So Joseph Pulitzer, who comes from um, uh, Missouri, from St. Louis is where he started. I think he was actually born in Hungary, uh, but he came to America when he was a boy and was uh, in St. Louis for a long, many years, but then ended up in New York. And he was a very successful journalist, meaning newspapers, meaning one thing. At the period of time, he was uh, a success in the early 1900s, along with uh, William Randolph Hearst. He was a yellow journalist, he, they just they they made I don't made it up is not exactly right. They took liberties in making journalism completely sensational, and yet they they quote this is an example of how you can wash off anybody's career with money. So Pulitzer was not popular. I mean, he was not a popular figure at the time because he was so unpleasant. Meaning, I don't even say that. I don't know if he was unpleasant. The yellow journalism was unpleasant. But the yellow journalism of Hearst and, and Pulitzer was a race to the bottom. It was just terrible. It was all this stuff. It wasn't just fake news. It was like tabloid stuff. And so this Politico article, lengthy article on this dean, is talking about how Pulitzer, first of all, you have to suspend your uh, historical understanding of the truth and say Pulitzer, oh, he was a, a really a thoughtful guy. He was really something special. No, he was a guy that figured out that you could sell papers by being a yellow journalist, by sensationalism, stretching the truth, lying about it, covering uh, titillating things and covering things that were upsetting because people would want to find out about it rather than covering the news or whatever. That was the news. And so here's this dean all seriousness about at this moment in history when the pulitzer prize was awarded the pulitzer prize was awarded the same name right and affiliated with the columbia school of journalism the pulitzer prize was awarded to the people who reported on the russia hoax and it was a lie and there's never they didn't return anything they didn't actually take you know they didn't rescind them they just went on with their lives so we're supposed to watch the major purveyors of fraud, of fake news on we the people that's, that's driving our nation crazy by dividing us. And the school of journalism is not saying, hey, we got a role to play here because um, what are we going to do? Turns out the news was lying or the news was covering something they wished were true. And when it turns out it wasn't true, instead of saying, I'm um, sorry, we, and, and they did nothing. They just kind of moved on to the next fraud. And the, the reality is, the dean should be saying, and the, the headline is, are, are we the problem? The new dean of the Columbia J School wrestles with his place in the industry. He, he, that, what they mean there is the journalism school. He doesn't mean, are we the problem? That's the irony. Are we the problem? Yeah, journalism is the problem, meaning the fake news is the problem, meaning the people that are purveying this nonsense, this lies, destroying the country, endangering the country, 
are the problem. <laughs> the debate here is, should we have a high priced uh, journalism school where people go into debt for a hundred grand, 150 grand to go and be a, a, a student in journalism and get a journalism degree and go into the field of journalism where the people are getting Pulitzer prizes for telling things that are false and then never doing anything about you. You should be fired. If you, if you get a Pulitzer prize for something, it turns out to be false. Does that make sense? Yeah, master's degree in journalism from Columbia University, from the School of Journalism. It's a nine-and-a-half-month program. costs $121,000. Really? Yeah, you, you are part of the problem. But the bigger part of the problem is you don't know what your place is and what the problem is. The problem is the fake news. Anyway, it's, a, it's an incredible story and incredible lack of self-knowledge, uh, but kind of funny that they actually ha- asked the question about uh, what they're up to. All right, we got to thank our great Noah Dingley. He's not part of the problem. And uh, Joanna Spilger, uh, both for uh, J- uh, Noah for uh, producing the show and Joanna for associate producing and all the great guests. Thank you for listening. And don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up for the daily emails there. And uh, we will be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. America Report on The Answer, San Diego.